Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, Harps and Clouds. Our topic this evening is heaven. And when I think about heaven, I always think about when I was about 12, I went to bed one night, my parents, we'd had worship and we were talking about heaven at worship. And so I went to bed and I dreamed about heaven. And I woke up with a start and I'm like, if that's what heaven's like, I'm not going. And you, you have to understand what my dream was. In my dream, I dreamed that heaven was this big Christmas reef with a big red bow. And the big red bow was kind of like the transition pad. So we all went to heaven and we landed on the bow. And before you could go off the bow into the rest of the reef, you had to listen to Moses preach for 50 years. And at that point in my life, I wasn't all that thrilled about sitting through any preaching, let alone for 50 years. And so I'm like, I don't know if if this is going to work for me. And I woke up with a start and very quickly realized that's not what we'd been talking about the night before. But my dream, where it's a little wacky and a little strange and I have no idea where it came from, there's a lot of other ideas about heaven. Um, In fact, I was talking with a young adult, um, probably about three months ago, and we were talking about heaven. We were in a Bible study, and she said, I don't think I want to go to heaven. It doesn't sound like it'd be all that fun. And you know, when you think about it, our world today, um, the things that we prize as fun You know, we watch movies, and they're not good unless they have sex or violence or something else. And and so how could heaven, what what is it that's worth, you know, changing your lifestyle for? Why is heaven worth it? What is heaven all about? What does it have to offer? Well, the book of Matthew, guess how many times the book of Matthew says the phrase kingdom of heaven? Do you guys have any ideas? No, no. Not 72 times. Um, It says heaven about that many times, but it says the kingdom of heaven 33 times. And so the kingdom of heaven is a huge theme in the book of Matthew. And Jesus goes over and over and over again using different parables to tell us about the kingdom of heaven and how to get ready for the kingdom of heaven. Well, one parable as I was reading it, it's only a verse long, but it just made me think of this. A man goes... And he's out, you know, he works for a living and he works for this guy and he's in the field again and it's hot and it's a muggy day and he just doesn't really feel like being there. But as he is plowing the rows so that he can put in the plant, so he can plant the wheat, the plow hits something again. There are so many rocks in this field. Why in the world is he stuck plowing this field? And so as he's looking, he goes in there and he's got to have a straight thing because the guy gets frustrated if it's not straight. And so he goes and he begins to dig around in the dirt. And as he's digging around he begins to realize this isn't no ordinary rock. In fact, there's coins down here, and there's some jewels down here, and as he's digging, he realizes he's found the jackpot. But this isn't his field. And so he has a choice to make, and he's not sure what he should do. Should he just take it, but know if someone catches him with the money, they ask where he got it, and he has to say, and then they'll say, well, it wasn't your field. And so he takes and he buries everything, and it's the middle of the day, but he decides to ditch work anyways. And he goes home, 
and he packs up everything he can find and he takes it to the market and he sells it all and he's like, not quite enough money to buy this field. So he goes home and he goes to his neighbor, you know, you've been wanting to buy some land? Well, how about you buy my house? And so he sells his house and his wife comes home and she's about to enter the house and the neighbor says, sorry, you don't live here anymore. And she's like, what? What do you mean I don't live here anymore? And the, her husband comes home saying, sweetie, well, I kind of sold the house. Well, what'd you do with all our stuff? Well, I kind of sold all of that too. What, what do you mean you sold everything? If I came home and Kevin had sold all of our cars, the condo, our furniture, my clothing, if he'd sold everything, I would be a little irritated with him. What? I mean, more than a little. I'd be a lot irritated with him. What are you thinking? That's my stuff. I have memories with it. You can't just sell it. This guy had found something that was so valuable that Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field, buries it, and sells everything he owns so that he can buy the field. It is followed exactly after it with another man who's out looking for pearls and he's in the marketplace and he finds that pearl that is priceless it's beautiful it's gorgeous and he goes and does the same thing he sells everything he owns so he can buy one pearl and Jesus is saying this is what heaven is this is something that you should be willing to sell everything do anything to get there but the concept that we get of heaven so often doesn't mesh with that. You know, when I think about heaven, I mean, it's a nice place and we know the answer is, do you want to go to heaven? What would you guys say? Yes, we know the answer is yes, but then when we ask you, well, why? Sometimes the answer falls a little short. Well, so Jesus says that heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like this great pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like this great treasure that's worth everything. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, there's a whole chapter that's sometimes called the faith chapter, and it goes through people after people. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, page 986. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, page 986. There's a few verses here that we want to read. Hebrews chapter 11. Page 986, it starts off with Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen, and it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And so this is kind of the, it, the framework about this whole chapter. That these people had faith, they had some hope, they had some assurance of something they couldn't see. Now what, is, what are they hoping for? What, is their, what are they looking for? Look down to um, look down to verse eight. Oh, never mind. To verse ten, it says Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So he's looking for the kingdom of heaven. Then verse thirteen says, and all these people died believing that God, believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. So all of these people, and who are all these people? What are they doing? Well, first we have Abel. He's our first martyr. He's sacrificing. He's doing it God's way. And his brother confronts him and kills him. And so the Bible says, by faith, Abel made a a better sacrifice. Then we have Enoch. 
He walked with God. He never died. And we have Noah. I mean, think about Noah. Noah, if God hadn't been there, if the faith hadn't panned out, Noah was a crazy man building a huge boat, expecting animals to come and rain to happen, and nobody knows what in the world that is. But Noah had this faith, and he had this trust in God, and he knew that if he listened to God, something better was around the corner. And then there's Abraham, and he was a real, I mean, we would consider him, uh, you know, attempted murderer. He'd be in jail for a while, taking his son up on the mountain, going to um, sacrifice him. But these people, there's a whole line, and they're willing to risk whatever God asked them to risk because they have faith in a city that's to come. So what is this faith? This faith that Jesus can tell us it's the pearl of great price, it's a treasure, it's worth selling, it's worth getting rid of everything you have so that you can buy it. It's worth doing anything you can. So what is this? John gives us a picture of what the city looks like, of this new Jerusalem. John is taken up to the top of a mountain and he sees an angel shows him what it's going to look like what the new Jerusalem's going to look like. And he sees a city. And this city is huge. It's, four, it's 1,400 miles long and wide. It's a square. It's a cube. So it's uh, 1,400 miles long and wide and high. This is a huge city. And light is shining and it's pouring out of the city. And it's just flooding the streets. And the city, as it's coming down out of heaven, John is just, he is tongue-tied. He, he can't imagine what this city is. It is just so beautiful, and it's so big. And as he begins to see a closer look, he sees that there is 12 foundations. Each of the foundation is a different precious gem. And as the light from God's glory shines through them, rainbows are bouncing everywhere. It's just brilliant, and it's sparkling, and it's gorgeous. And as he looks a little bit deeper, he sees that there's these huge pearls, and the pearls are gates into the city, but unlike most city gates, these gates are open. They are always open. And as he's looking in through the city gates, he sees the pavement is gold. And as he's looking, this is the most beautiful city, and he's standing there, and he doesn't know what to say. And the angel tells him, The city of God is coming down and God is going to dwell with us. God is going to live with us. And as John is is watching, he's like, oh, it is so beautiful. And if we look at Revelation 21, it gives us such a beautiful description about what it is. And in Revelation 21, verse 10, um, 21, Revelation 21, it is just so gorgeous, this, this city. God spared absolutely no expense. And the the angel that is describing the city to him, Revelation chapter 21, verse 10, it says, So he took me up in spirit to a a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was as broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west, and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. On them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel talked with me, held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its walls. It measured 
When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height each equaled 1,400 miles. He measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick. And the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as clear as glass, and the wall of the city was built on the foundation of stone, inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth um, chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. God has gone to, he has spared no expense. He has gone above and beyond. And he's used the building materials that we pay hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars to just get one smaller than a quarter. He's using this as the foundation of the city. And it's beautiful and it's sparkling. And so as we're thinking about heaven, God is offering us this beautiful, precious gift. And people have done the math. This city that's 1,400 feet long, wide, and high, they found that if it's a city, a normal city with city blocks and other stuff, that it could house 2 billion people on the ground level. 2 billion people on the ground level. But if it's 1,400 feet high as well, how many people do you think can fit in this city? This city has room for everybody. That's a really beautiful start for heaven. But a golden city is nice, but that's, that's not all we want. What else does God offer us? What else does he offer us in heaven? What makes heaven so appealing that it's worth giving up everything in this lifetime to make sure I'm there? What is it that makes it worth it? Well, first of all, what will we be like? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 51, that's page 937, 1 Corinthians 15. Nine thirty-seven. First Corinthians 15, verse 51. It says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in the moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. God starts out with, guess what? you're going to grow up. Every single one of us, even the most perfect, beautiful models that we look on TV and we're like, oh, I wish we could look like that. And we work out and we try to be like them. They have something wrong with their bodies. All of us struggle in one way, shape, or form. You know, I was in gymnastics like an idiot. I let people stand on my shoulders, which threw my back out of alignment. So now my hip likes to go out all the time. When I get to heaven, that's not going to happen. Have you guys ever been in a hospital in the kids' ward? The kids' wards where there's kids who have leukemia and there's kids who were born without limbs. 
than other stuff. The first thing God promises about heaven is how all that's gonna change in the twinkling of an eye. There's not gonna be anything left that is imperfect. We're gonna be perfectly who we were supposed to be, who we were made to be. I was watching a commercial on TV and I saw this guy who was born without any arms or any limbs. He was just a torso. And, you know, he, he was sharing his life story a little bit in the commercial and I was just, I was just thinking, I bet he can't wait for heaven because he's never had the opportunity to walk. He's never had the opportunity to give someone a hug. All of that is going to be wiped away. In the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be transformed and our bodies are going to be perfect. So all of those little things that we all wish were different, those aches and pains, the way we wish we could live up to our ideal of perfection, that's going to be all wiped away in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to have perfect bodies but real human bodies. Some people think that when we go to heaven, we're just going to be a spirit. We're going to be floating around. And that's another one of the misconceptions about heaven is we're going to be spirits floating around on clouds, hanging out with harps. And that doesn't sound all that fun to me. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, page 959. Philippians chapter 3. And verse 20, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, page 959 says, But we are citizens of this, we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for his return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So Jesus says we're going to have bodies like his own. What kind of body did Jesus have when he was resurrected from the dead? He had a human body. In fact, when he appeared to his disciples afterwards, they were really scared. They were like, what are you doing here? You're a ghost. And he's like, no, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. And so they touched him and they still didn't quite believe it. And he's like, then feed me. Give me something to eat. He had a very real human body. But our human bodies, they're not going to be like what we see now. They're not going to be imperfect with all the things we struggle with. They're going to be perfect. They're going to be immortal. What does immortal mean? They're not going to die. They're going to live forever in God's kingdom. Some people are like, oh no, if I'm getting a new body, how will someone know me? They know me because I'm the person with no arms and no legs. How are they going to figure out who I am? Well, was Jesus recognizable after his resurrection? Maybe not at first. When Mary first saw him and she saw him, she thought he was the gardener. And Mary's like, you know, if you've taken his body, I won't tell anybody. Just tell me where he is. I'll go get him. And Jesus is like, Mary. And she's like, oh, it's you. It's you, Jesus. Jesus had a perfected body after his resurrection. But his voice was the same. His character was the same. The way that he said people's names. When we get to heaven, we're going to have a perfectly transformed body without the aches and pains. And I don't know, that alone is enough wanting to sacrifice everything in my life. But God doesn't stop there. He says, you know, there's something more. He says, "Um, I'm going to take away all of the sicknesses. Turn to Isaiah chapter 35, page 578. Page 578. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. Verse 1. 
verses 5 and 6. It says, The lame will leap like the deer. You guys get that? People who've never been able to walk or run, they're leaping like deers. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wastelands. So God is saying this heaven is such a beautiful place that springs are going to burst forth in the wilderness. In fact, if you look in verses 1 and 2 of that verse, it says, Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wastelands will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. So the desert is going to turn into a pasture land. It's going to turn into flowers. Everything about heaven is going to be beautiful. People aren't going to be hurting. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. It tells us something that's very beautiful. Revelation 21. Revelation 21 verse 4. It's page 1021. Revelation 21 verse 4. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. All these things will be gone forever. No more death, nor sorrow, nor pain, no more tears. Can you guys imagine that? How many of you think of a time, can you very quickly think of a time when somebody hurt you, when you were treated unjustly? Something that you're still trying to heal from in your childhood or maybe even last week that someone did. God said he's going to wipe all of that away. And another question I've gotten with heaven is if there's going to be no more tears or crying or pain, but God's just not going to let everybody in heaven, you know, maybe I don't want to be in heaven if my Aunt Susie can't be there. How's, going to, how's God going to deal with that one? He tells us there's not going to be any tears or pain. But, you know, if my mom's not there, that's going to be hard for me to deal with. So when is it going to be that there's going to be no more tears, no crying, or pain? And this brings us to a point. Where is heaven? You guys know where heaven is? All right. Well, let's look over to Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, so they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then this, then heaven comes down and it comes down to earth. So first of all, heaven's in two places. Does that make sense? Heaven is first and foremost, when we go to heaven, when Jesus comes back, we're going to go with him into heaven, and it's somewhere up in the universe, somewhere. I don't know where exactly it is. And so we're going to be in heaven, up in the universe, in the kingdom of God, up there living in our city homes for how long, according to this verse? A thousand years. And what are we doing during that thousand years? Judging. Who are we judging? What are we judging? We're judging God. We get the opportunity. We get a thousand years in heaven. And it's after this thousand years that God says he wipes away all tears and sorrows and pain. You guys understand that? So we have a thousand years in the kingdom of heaven to go, God, hey, why isn't my mom here? 
And then we get to go and to God's big library, however it looks, his book, and we get to pull out the section on mom and we get to stick it in and then we get to watch in full 3D animation her life moment by moment by moment where we see the choices she made and we see where she chose not to be in heaven. A God of love will not force people to be in heaven who don't want to be there. Why would that be? I'll use an extreme example that I used when we were talking about hell. I'm an axe murderer. I enjoy torturing people with axes. If God just put me in heaven, would I be happy in heaven? Why not? I can't kill people in heaven with axes? That's just not fair. (laughs) The one thing we take with us that doesn't get wiped clean is our character. Because heaven needs to start here. Jesus uses another example in Matthew chapter 13 where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a little tiny bit of yeast that a woman puts in with flour and kneads and it affects the whole dough. When we allow God, when we allow this concept of the kingdom of heaven and what God is offering us, he's offering us a clean slate, a past, no more sin, perfect bodies. When we allow that to get in our life, it permeates and it begins to affect who we are. And when we've accepted that gift that Jesus has given us, the free gift of salvation, it changes us and it begins to change our characters. We take our characters with us into heaven. And so when God says there's going to be no more tears, there's going to be no more sorrow, there's going to be no more pain, this is after the thousand years in heaven that we've had time to sit down and talk with Jesus and say, listen, I don't understand And at the end of it, we will be able to say, God, you are loving, you are just, and you are fair in your decisions. It also tells us that in Revelation 22, flip over, that God offers us something else while we're in heaven. God offers us something else. Revelation 22, verse 2. Or start in verse 1. It says, the angel showed me a river of life, Clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. All right. So, this tree of life, first we have the river of life, which we can drink from, which gives us eternal life, because it's flowing from God's throne. Then we have a tree of life that has 12 different fruits that we can taste one, a different one each month. But unlike some trees, like I wouldn't go out and just eat an apple tree's leaves. I don't know if it hurt me, but it just doesn't appeal to me. This tree has leaves that are edible. And what do these leaves do for us? They heal God built in healing in heaven because we've been hurt and we've been scarred by sin. And so in heaven, when we're in heaven in a thousand years, we're going to get to go look at the library and see where God was just. We're going to judge God, but he also builds healing in to our nourishment. The leaves of the tree of life, as we eat them, they begin to water our souls. They begin to ease any hurt or pain that is still there. Kingdom of heaven is starting to look a whole lot better. It's not just a Christmas wreath with a red bow and Moses preaching. It's a kingdom that is beautiful and it's gold and God spares no expense. The lions lay down with the lambs and people can run and leap that can never do it before. We have perfect bodies and God promises there's going to be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. 
I could buy into a heaven like that. So what will we do? People are like, I don't want to play a harp for the rest of eternity. What, what am I going to do in heaven? That just doesn't appeal to me. I don't like to play the harp down here. Why would I suddenly go up there and want to play? So, what is it we're going to be do? What will we be doing? One thing that I get when I talk to a lot of teens is they're like, I don't want to go to heaven until after I've been married and have kids, or at least have been able to have sex. (laughs) And then Jesus makes this statement in Mark chapter 12. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. That's lots of fun. That really makes people not want to go to heaven right away. They want to wait. Mark chapter 12, verse 25. Page 822. Mark chapter 12, verse 25. 822. Mark chapter 12, verse 25. Okay, Mark chapter 12, verse 25. And this is what it says. Jesus is talking because it's in red. And he says, For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In respects, they will be like the angels in heaven. So what does this tell us? So we're not going to get married or be given in marriage in heaven. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. I mean, God designed us. He built us for marriage. That's what he, he made Adam and Eve for. He told them to be fruitful, multiply. That's what we were designed for. We're best in relationship. We're designed after a God who's best understood in relationship. So why in the world is there not going to be any marriage or giving in marriage in heaven? Well, as I was reading this, I came across another verse which helps explain things a little bit more. Turn to Isaiah chapter 65, page 605. Isaiah chapter 65. Page 605. Isaiah 65. Page 605, and we're going to start reading in verse 21. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 21. It says, in those days, people will live in houses they build. Okay, so what kind of houses are we going to live in in these days they're talking about? The houses we build. Okay, so we're going to build them. When we're actually living in the city of heaven, up in heaven, what kind of house are we living in? God built, God, remember it tells us in John chapter uh, 14, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again. So when we're living in heaven that's up in the universe somewhere, we're living in a house that God builds, right? All right, so when Isaiah is talking, we're ta- he's talking about a time when we're living in houses we build, which means we're going to have a city house that's in the city of New Jerusalem, and we're going to have a country house that we get to go build however we want to. We can use our imagination. We can train the trees how we want to. We can build a skyscraper. It doesn't matter. We can do what we want to, but it's going to be a house that we build with our own hands. What does it continue to say? And we will eat the fruit of our own vineyards. Okay? So we're going to have land out there. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as the trees, and my chosen one will have time to enjoy their hard-won grains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. Okay, 
So when we're living in houses in the country that we build by ourselves and we have our own vision, we're going to have children, okay? How long are we in heaven before the city of Jerusalem comes down on the earth? A thousand years. So all the babies that were resurrected and were taken to heaven, um, what happens after a thousand years? Do they stay babies for the rest of eternity? Do they still children? No. They, the babies have grown up. It does, you know, they're growing. They're constantly growing. God designed us to be in relationship. He modeled us after himself. In heaven, when we're in heaven judging God, our sole focus is going to be the question of the universe. Is God loving? Is God just? And is God fair? When God comes back down and he settles on this planet, God's not worried about running out of space. He can create another planet if we multiply too much. That's not the problem. He wants us to have our whole focus when we're up in heaven, in the universe, on him, on the question, is God loving, is God just, and is God fair? When we're back here, when we're building our own homes, it says we're going to have children. That means the original design takes place again. Does that make sense? It takes place again when we're in the new earth after sin has been wiped out, after we don't have any more questions to answer. What else are we going to get to do in heaven? We'll build our own homes. We have kids. What else do we get to do? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, page 785. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Page 785, Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 says, And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Is there anybody in history that you want to meet? I'd, I'd really like to sit down with, um, you know, Joseph and ask him what it would like to go from being spoiled little brat son to a slave and then to the ruler of a nation. And not only that, there's other people in history, like my great-great-grandfather. You know, there's pictures of him that he had uh, a six-and-a-half-foot arm span, but he was only 4'11", which meant that his, his hands went down to his knees. He looked like the missing link. He, he looked like an ape, and he got teased all the time. I'd like to talk to him. I've never gotten a chance to talk to him. I want to get to know him. The Bible tells us that we're going to have an opportunity to sit down with the greats of the Bible, with other people, and talk. We have all history so that we can get to know every single person who ever lived. We can find out their story, their different testimony about how God led them, especially how did God lead before there was a Bible. We have it easy. We get to talk with people throughout history. But the most beautiful thing is we get to talk with God. We get to talk with God and with angels. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23, page 606. Isaiah 66, verse 23, page 606. Isaiah 66, we're going to start in verse 22, actually. It says, as surely as my new heavens and new earth will remain, so will you always be my people, 
This is God talking. And he says, All humanity will come to worship me from week to week and month to month. We're going to get to spend time every week, every Sabbath with God, worshiping God. But not only that, we're going to have an opportunity to sit down one-on-one with God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. I read the book, The Shack, and the author of The Shack gives a really amazing picture of what the Holy Spirit was like. But I would love to actually talk to the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about talking to him or her or whatever it is? It What does it look like? What does it feel like? We're going to get to talk and spend time with God. Not only that, is we become a witness throughout the rest of history, the rest of the universe, the rest of the world, on why sin isn't a good idea. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, page 928. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, page 928. We're going to read verse 9. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. It says, Instead, sometimes I think God has put us apostles on display, like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have been a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. We're going to get to be an example. Where it says angels in other places and very similar to that, it talks about celestial beings. And I don't know whether God has other intelligent life up there besides angels and the creatures in heaven, but it doesn't matter. We will be the witness in Revelation chapter uh, 14 tells us, turn to Revelation chapter 14 verse 3, page 1016. Revelation 14 verse 3. That we're, we're like the prisoners of war. We're going to be a testimony, a testimony to the rest of creation. Revelation chapter 14, verse 3. Revelation chapter 14, verse 3 says, This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They had kept themselves pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever he goes. They had been purchased from among God's people on earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They had told no lies, and they were without blame. There is a picture of God's people who are standing in heaven in the throne room with millions and millions of angels and beings and the 24 elders and the four living beings, and they're singing a song that no one else can sing because they're the only ones, we're the only ones who are going to know what it felt like to have nailed Jesus to the cross with our sins. And we're going to be sharing our personal testimony in heaven saying, sin is not worth it. Satan was lying when he said, God was unloving, unjust, and unfair. God's rules are here for a reason, and I've experienced them personally. I didn't deserve to be here, but God saved me anyways. We're going to be able to sing a song about redemption that nobody else can sing. In heaven, this beautiful city that God has spared no expense, that's gorgeous, that shines with his brilliance. There's no day and there's no night. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. We have a city home where we get to spend time with God every single week and 
Then we get to go enjoy all of his creation. We get to talk with people throughout history. And then we get to share with other beings, both created before us and after us, about God's redemptive love. Heaven is going to be a place that is beyond your wildest imagination. You can't even imagine. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, page 927. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, page 927. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't imagine it. I've got a really wild imagination. There's some pretty cool stuff that I can imagine doing. And if God says no mind can imagine it, just think about what God is offering us in heaven. He tells us, In Hebrews chapter 3, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, page 980. Hebrews chapter 3, page 980. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12 says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still called today, so that none of you will be deceived by the sin and harden your heart against God. For we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as we first believed. We will share in all that, he, that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when your heart When you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled. Hebrews tells us today is the day to make a decision. Not when I feel like it, not when I get out of school, not when things free up at work or when it's more convenient. God says today is the day to make a decision, and here's what I'm offering you. I'm offering you redemption from your sins. I'm offering you a city that no one could dream of making. I'm offering you a life without pain and suffering. I'm offering you a perfect body. I'm offering you companionships and the greatest adventures you could imagine and more. I've got more planned for you than you could possibly think or imagine. I'm offering this to you, but mostly I'm offering you an opportunity to know me personally. That's what heaven is. It's not harps and clouds It's a relationship with God, and he wants to spend time with us. Jesus uses one more parable in Matthew chapter 13. He talks about a man who goes and he's planting a field, and he plants the wheat. And in the evening, someone comes, an enemy comes, and he sows weeds, and he sows them. And as the crop begins to grow, so do the weeds and the hands are like, what should we do? Should we rip up the weeds? Should we pull them out? And the, and the guy says, no, don't pull them out. If you pull them out, you'll pull up some of the wheat in the process. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And let's read what happens. Matthew chapter 13. Page 790. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to re- read in verse 36. says, then leaving the crowd outside, Jesus went into the house. 
His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed and the field is the world and the good seed represent the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. The angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. Anyone who hears should listen and understand. Jesus, in his parables about the kingdom of heaven, he says, the kingdom of heaven is a pearl of great price. You should sell everything to have it. It's the treasure in the field that nothing should stop you unless you get it. But if you choose to walk past it, you'll get thrown into the fire with the rest of the weeds. We have a choice tonight. Do we want to be in heaven, this beautiful place full of adventure and fun and God, or do we want to risk it on our own? The dares tonight, or do you believe that heaven is a pearl worth selling everything for? Can you accept that dare? Can you accept the dare to believe that heaven is more full of adventure than you could ever imagine? Can you accept the dare to give up anything that will make you unfit? And just like my imagination of the story, selling everything you own is difficult sometimes. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. I hope that you will choose to be in heaven with me so that I can sit down and spend the rest of eternity getting to know each of you better. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.